This episode of Ministry Monday is sponsored by NPM. Join NPM for Music and the Order of Celebrating Matrimony, a webinar presented by Monsignor Rick Hillgartner and Dr. Lynn Trapp. This session will provide an opportunity for discussion with a pastor and a pastoral musician about pastoral practice, liturgical catechesis, and strategies for evangelization in the process of marriage preparation. This webinar is a membership benefit for all levels of NPM membership. For more information on how to register, visit npm.org. Not a member? Membership of NPM starts at $49 a year and includes webinars, networking and training opportunities, and much more. Learn more at npm.org forward slash membership. From NPM, the National Association of Pastoral Musicians, this is episode 229 of Ministry Monday. Ministry Monday is a weekly podcast about music, ministry, and liturgy produced by the National Association of Pastoral Musicians, or NPM. What is NPM? NPM is a national association that fosters the art of musical liturgy. The members of NPM serve the Catholic Church in the United States as musicians, clergy, liturgists, and other leaders of prayer. For more information, go to npm.org forward slash join. Have a question? Email us anytime at ministrymonday at npm.org. Hello, and welcome to Ministry Monday. I am your host, Amanda Bruce. If you haven't done so yet, please subscribe to Ministry Monday wherever you listen to your podcasts each week. And hey, thanks for joining us today. Today we speak to Irish Catholic singer Donna. Her story begins in Northern Ireland, representing Ireland in the world-famous Eurovision contest in the 1970s. After winning this prestigious competition, her career carried her through both pop music and Catholic music, listening to the Lord's voice throughout each step of her career. Her story is a decades-long testament to her spirituality and openness, and the music she has created to guide and inspire so many others. Today on Ministry Monday, I am speaking to Dana. How are you today? I am very well, thank you. I'm speaking to you from a seaside town in Ireland. I'm visiting my daughter. And I think the sun has just come out. So there you go. (laughs) Good. That's wonderful. Now, um, thank you for joining us today on Ministry Monday. I have so looked forward to this conversation. Um, I'd love to actually start before we really get into the meat of our conversation with a bit of conversation we had before we started recording, which is I, of course, greeted you by saying, hello, Dana. But you also mentioned that actually that's the American way of saying your name. So would you mind sharing a little bit of actually the correct pronunciation of your name? Well, I won't say it's correct. I'll just say it's what we say in Ireland. We pronounce it Dana, Dana. And it's a very famous in history, the true the Dana were the people of the, the, the chief or the leader of, the, of that people was called Dana. 
and they were great exponents in music and uh, art. Um, I'd like to say that's why I was named. It wasn't. I was named after the two Idana, which means you're bold or you're mischievous. But had I realized there was a true Idana, I would have said that first. <laughs> well, thank you. I for the rest of our conversation, we'll 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 pronounce it Dana. But um, I'm I'm so grateful that you were able to 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 share that with us. So today we are going to talk about yourself as a, an Irish Catholic composer and musician. Um, and you know, some of our listeners are, may not be familiar with your catalog. So I was kind of hoping if we could start by just giving us a little bit of background on yourself. How did you become involved in Catholic music? And what was your upbringing in the Catholic church like? Well, I was raised in a Catholic family uh, who prayed the rosary. Uh, who went to Mass, and in a Catholic community in Northern Ireland, in the city of Derry, which was literally full of musicians and writers. And so I had a very a fruitful uh, musical life as a young person. And so I studied um, classical music, I studied piano, and I... I played guitar because there were often musicians in in our home, and I was I was given a guitar for one Christmas, and so I I learned to play very poorly. I mean, just basic chords, but it's easier than carrying a piano around. So, but <laughs> piano was always my great love, and I actually studied violin as well, and um, I once came third in a competition. But then there was only three in it. So <laughs> I have to be honest. But <laughs> I I just loved all kinds of music. I, I really did. I sang uh, because everyone sang. I, I never studied singing. And it was actually as a singer that my music career began. I started off singing folk music while studying uh, classical uh, piano. And... I wanted to be a music teacher and English literature teacher because I, I loved both subjects. So I was um, I was about to go to college when I was chosen to sing in a national song contest where the uh, people of the country vote for the song and singer that they want to represent them in the Eurovision song contest mm -hmm. now you, you may not be familiar with the eurovision song contest we are but it's, i am oh you are okay mm -hmm. so yeah. you know it's it's probably the biggest music competition in the world mm -hmm. and that's where abba began their career and uh, celine dion began her international career from winning that competition when i went to represent ireland i was in my just about to do my final exams before college, um, I was I was very happy. Uh, we were studying Beethoven's Sixth, the Pastoral Symphony. Mm -hmm. I mean, I was very happily practicing like seven hours a day and loving it. I went to the competition, never dreaming that I would win because I didn't want to be a singer, and and I won the competition. And it was You're the first kidding. time. Yeah, I know. 
I was so shocked. And I was totally shocked for about six months. It took until I realized I'd won it. And in actual fact, I was singing against very big stars. Uh, Julio Iglesias was singing for Spain. And a girl called Mary Hopkins sang for, for England. You might know her name, but you will know her song, which was Those Were the Days, my friend. Mm-hmm. We thought they'd never end. So Mary was singing for the UK. And I won it. And I was catapulted into a a pop career. My song was a kind of a mixture between folk and very light, melodic uh, pop, popular music called All Kinds of Everything. And it just went to number one in, in most European countries and in Ireland, England. And I suddenly was a, uh, a popular singer. And... I was very blessed in my career, uh, like everyone else, ups and downs. I did try writing pop songs. They were very banal and four chords. And I I wasn't very successful writing pop songs. And so I, I gave up any thought of writing. But in the year, in the six months before my husband and I married, when we were uh, engaged to be married, we really wanted something that we could share together. I was uh, a pop singer. He was a hotelier. He had a hotel. And we thought, we'll pray that we'll have something, common ground that we can share as a couple. And we had a very dear friend who had uh, recovered from alcoholism and had a very big struggle in his life, but a beautiful, holy man. And one day I said to him, how did you, how did you get through, you know, the really tough times? I had come through a very tough time because I had a suspected uh, cancer growth on one of my vocal cords, which was not malignant, but they had to cut the root out of my cord. And so for almost five years, I couldn't, I couldn't sing. I had to learn to speak and then to sing and then to get over the fear and I said to him how do you get through the rough times and he said well even in my darkest hours I knew that Jesus loved me so I just praised the Lord and we were on our honeymoon my husband and I we were talking about this wonderful man Colm was his name and this song just began to come which we called Praise the Lord. It's And we subtitled it Column's Song. And that was the very first uh, religious music that I ever wrote. I wrote it with my husband on our honeymoon. Wow. Oh, my goodness. Now, how many years ago, if you don't mind me asking, was that? I don't mind at all. I believe this year it is 45 years. Wow. And congratulations, by the way. That's Thank wonderful. you. Wow. I highly recommend it. <laughs> I highly recommend it. <laughs> so you wrote Praise the Lord. Mm-hmm. What happened next? What happened next was um, in 1979, which was the year after we married, um, the Holy Father, Pope, or St. John Paul II, came to visit Ireland. And when we married, he had just been elected Pope. So uh, he was very kind of 
very much on our radar. And he came to Ireland and I was in England uh, recording a, a television series for children. So I missed him. But my husband and his family and everyone we knew went to the, the big um, public park in, in Dublin called Phoenix Park, where the Holy Father said Mass. And so I had to watch it on television. And there's a million people in that park. So when I flew back in, the Pope had left. And so my husband took me to where he had said Mass. And there were people just just wandering around. And I think I found a tiny thread of the carpet on the altar area, which I pulled out of a crack in the wood. And we were driving home and uh, my husband said, um, you know, his motto is so, so beautiful. And I said, what is it? And he said, totus tuus. It means totally yours. And we were just talking about the incredible impact that the Holy Father had on individuals on our country because they were very dark and difficult days. We had what we call the Troubles in the North and there had been a lot of loss of life and my husband's hotel had been bombed a number of times and um, we just talked about the love that he brought, you know, the love that he gave. And, and all of a sudden this song starts to come, which we call Totus Tuus. We did not want it to be just about the man, the, the Pope, because we, we understand that he is the successor of St. Peter. And therefore it had also to be about uh, Jesus Christ, who is the the center of our our lives and of our church. And so there's a line in it which says, um, the rock and the lamb, the Lord and the man, totes to us, totally yours. So it's, it was like a, a combination of our love for Jesus and our love for our Holy Father. You continue then to, to obviously be inspired by your faith and these songs begin to just start to pour out of you. Um, yes. About how many songs did you write before you really started to maybe get them recorded or look into sharing them with the world? Well, when we had written Toast to Us and, and we had Praise the Lord and Literally, my husband said to me, you know, you're a recording of artist. He said, isn't it time you put your faith on record? And I was very taken aback because I was a, a pop star and I'd had uh, only had popular songs released and and thank God charted. But I felt that my my faith was was very very obviously very personal and I did do everybody knew I was Catholic um everybody knew I was uh pro-life and but I never thought about recording it and I'd never thought about recording 
a song that I'd written because it felt like revealing something so deeply personal. But when he said that, I, I thought, well, maybe he's, maybe he's right. And we we talked about it and decided, yes, we should put it on record. And so it was a very much a Celtic setting. Uh, we had two outstanding Celtic uh, musicians playing on it, um, a baron player and, and a beautiful alien pipe player, the, both leaders in our in our Celtic uh, music scene, and um, and and a, and a choir with us. We released it. My pop label said, "I really like it, but you know we don't release that kind of music." <laughs> but if CBS in Dublin wants to release it, we we will not object. So they released it, and in three weeks it went to number one in Ireland. And the, that was a shock. That was a shock. And then because of that song, I was led into more Christian recording because it was heard by um, the head of uh, music on a, a label called Word, Word Records, which was the um, probably at that time the biggest Christian uh, company uh, in the world. And they were Baptist, Southern Baptist, founded and owned. And so I recorded that and other songs. My first release was with Word Records. It, with Word Records, did, did you release an entire album of your compositions at that point? Uh, no, not, not all my mm -hmm. compositions. Um, I, I released two albums, mm -hmm. which contained a number of of uh, songs that either I'd written alone or written with my husband. Oh, great. And that was such an experience. And then the about 79, 80, two years after that, um, we were visiting in the west of Ireland. Um, our daughter had been born, Grace, and we went just for a couple of days rest in the west of Ireland. And... I I had had such an experience of falling in love with Jesus. It's the only way I can describe it. Uh, in my uh, late twenties, just before we married, uh, it was a, an incredibly wonderful experience. But it left me that I felt I didn't need anybody else. You know, I didn't need any saints. I didn't need the Blessed Mother. I just needed Jesus. And in the west of Ireland is a beautiful um, shrine uh, to Our Lady of Knock. Mm -hmm. uh, you may never have heard of Our Lady of Knock, but in the days of great hardship, uh, not long after the famine in Ireland and great poverty and repression, really, of, of people, our Lady appeared with St. John the Baptist and, uh, sorry, with St. John the Evangelist and St. Joseph and the Lamb of God on the gable wall of a, of a very simple parish church in a little village called Knock. And my husband wanted to um, 
He said, why don't we go there? We'll we get mass in the morning. I had great resistance to going because I didn't understand the Blessed Mother. I didn't understand her significance. Or why did I need her? And I didn't particularly want to go. But uh, he said, oh, we, we drive right by it, which was a lie because we didn't drive right by it. <laughs> but we went there and we had mass. And I was so struck, Amanda, by the obvious fact that the whole focus of this apparition was the Lamb of God, the Eucharistic Christ, a lamb on a simple altar surrounded by angels. But they were all in adoration of the Lamb. And that really struck me. And we got back in the car. We, we, we seemed to do a lot of writing in the car. And we went back to our home in, in Uri. And the song, Our Lady of Knock, it, it just, it wrote itself really. Um, lines in it I didn't completely understand. It just literally, we wrote it by the time we got home. And I was... Um, I was recording an album in London. We had a bit of spare time at the end of it. And I said, could we put down a track for this song? Which we did. And again, I wanted an Irish flavor. So we had a mandolin playing. And, and, and we only supplied it to the little shop in Knock. But we did not realize that visitors from the United States and other countries would come there and buy it. And we didn't find out until about six or seven years later that it was the most requested Irish song up and down the east and west coast of America. And so many people had recorded it. We had no idea because people thought it was a uh, traditional hymn. You are correct that Lady of Knock is a very popular song in the United States. And, and here it's sung, I mean, it's sung everywhere, weddings, funerals, it's confirmations, mm -hmm. it's just, but I, I tell you honestly, Amanda, it was truly a gift from the Holy Spirit. I can't even say that we wrote it. It just kind of wrote itself. Mm. It was, it was just a gift and a teaching. I would say that with I'd say with nearly every song we've ever written or I've written on my own, it has truly been to teach me first and then to share. Clearly, I mean, these songs that you're describing, they, they almost like from what you're saying, they come forth from you. I mean, you know, like it, it sounds to me like in, in the compositions you've mentioned, they just kind of spring forth. Is that an accurate description so far as to what you've been describing? Yeah, I would say definitely. Um, if I was to sit down specifically to write a song, I cannot. Hmm. I, I mean, I could hammer out something that would be um, a song, but I know that it would never connect. Hmm. As, as the songs that I or Damien and I have written have connected with people. That, mm -hmm. that I know. That mm -hmm. I know. Mm -hmm. Wow. Wow. And, and clearly your songs do have that connecting power um, because they are, I mean, as, as we're talking about, they're still widely used 
um, what, 40 some years later. Yes. Mm-hmm. Yes. I mean, we just, and we often sit, we'll say, why would God give us that song? You know, mm-hmm. why would he do that? Why would he want that? And it's, it still completely puzzles me, but we are very humbled and very grateful. Mm-hmm. I can tell. I can tell. I, I feel like I, I would love to sit and talk about every composition of yours, but I'd love to talk about your most recent composition. We Are One Body, um, it really came from um, a realization uh, that I was asked to go and sing and speak at a, a gathering of confirmation aged boys and girls in one of the northern states. And we had we had only just come to live in America, so it would have been about 91, 90, early 92. And 92 was that, yeah. So this gathering, about 4,000 of them in the stadium. And it was very obvious that the teachers were upset at the end of it because the priest who was there spoke about the commandments being commandments and not suggestions, that God had given us commandments. Mm -hmm. I spoke on protection of life and another former uh, drug addict spoke about the realization, the reality of evil that he had experienced when he was in prison. And that was interpreted as portraying a harsh God or frightening the children or why would I speak on pro-life? I was not American. And, you know, the children absolutely loved it. But the, the teachers did not. And they handed back the little rosary beads and they handed back the miraculous medals. And I was flying back to Birmingham. I just felt a great sadness. We had uh, three ch- We had four children ourselves at that point. And I just thought, you know, they're going to be asked to lay down their lives for their faith in their confirmation. And who would lay down their lives for a half truth? You know, we have to just speak the truth, give the truth. And and I don't think anyone more than young people know it when they hear it and the challenge that it brings. They want and so I, I just thought, how sad. And as I was thinking about that, I, was, I just said a prayer, you know, for them and for their teachers and our own children. And and then I thought, well, why don't we tell them the whole truth? And even if they have to stand alone, be it in their own family or their community or wherever it is, better that they know. Look beyond where you are, because there are millions standing for this truth. And you're not alone, because you never stand alone when you stand on the truth of Christ. And the words began to come to me. We are one body, one body in Christ, and we do not stand alone. We are one body, one body in Christ. He came that we might have life. And it went into another verse about how we live out our faith. Can you see them crying? Can you feel their pain? Will you feed the hungry? Will you help the lame? And and then it went into a middle, what I would call a middle section. I am the way, the truth, the life. 
I am the final sacrifice. And then it went back into, we are one body, one body in Christ. That was about as much as I got of it. But as I was hearing it, I was seeing like a huge stadium with, um, with people singing it. And I thought, oh, it's, it's an anthem of some kind. I think it's an anthem. And so we landed and I sang it to Damien and I said, you know, I, I, think, I think this is important. And I was doing a music series for EWTN. So we, we recorded it with uh, just a small rhythm section of deeply committed Christian uh, musicians. They, they did not belong to my denomination, but they were deeply committed Christian musicians. And I said, listen, I, I have no arrangement. It's an unusual song because it's unusual in that you would think you're going to begin on the first beat. We are one body, mm-hmm. one body in Christ. And when I came into the studio, that's how they had done a little piece to let me hear what they were playing. And I said, oh, no, 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 no. It begins one two we are one body mm-hmm. one body in christ don't ask me why but it begins on the third beat and it i knew it had to begin on the third beat and so i said we say a prayer we prayed we started with no arrangement all i had was like the two main verses a middle section and back to the main first verse. We started, Amanda, and we finished about six minutes later. And I was just singing over and over, we are one body. And and we finished when we knew we had to finish. And we listened to it and we loved it. (laughs) (laughs) And I did it, I did it on my television show and I did it live. People say, yeah, we really love it. It's got a lot of the same verse, a lot of the same <laughs> words, which it did. And then uh, when the Holy Father was coming to America, we sent three songs. One of them told us to us, one of them called Say Yes. And this and this very long version of We Are One Body. And they wrote back and they said, oh, would you... Um, I thought I might sing at maybe one of the little gatherings, you know, that they have on where you do. And they wrote back and they said, would you like to enter We Are One Body as for the theme song for World Youth Day in Denver? And so I, I immediately knew, no, it's not for competition. No. So about two months later, they wrote back and they said, well, we've chosen it anyway. <laughs> It's crazy, isn't it? We've chosen it anyway, but we do need you to <laughs> add some more verses. And I, I mean, that for me was like hell on earth. I thought, I, I, I can't possibly do this. I cannot manufacture verses. And my very dear brother-in-law, Father Kevin Scallon, uh, we literally prayed our way through it. He was spiritually directing me through it and we looked at all the things that you would want to say about Jesus 
um, at the name of Jesus, every knee shall bend. Jesus was just, uh, our, 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 I, th I hope our love for him just shone through. But there were many verses that just was capturing what he had said in different parables or different teachings. And if I tell you, Amanda, we only had to add in one more section to make it the final version that was used on World Youth Day. And uh, it's a long, it, it runs long, but I often think, you know, we think we're writing things and we think we're arranging things. We are not. And if it is a gift of the Holy Spirit, he directs us from beginning to end. Mm -hmm. and, and, and he has done with that song and, and it's gone on to be adopted really as um, it's the theme song for World Youth Day. It's sung every World Youth Day in some context or another. I sang it at seven World Youth Days and wow, I, I just thank God for it. It's just sung at all different gatherings and all different World Youth Days. Mm -hmm. Wow, that's incredible. Oh my goodness. So we've talked about that. And of course it still has a life of its own, like you said. Um, yes. And then um, can you talk about your last composition that we can talk about today? I, like I said, I, I would love to talk with you about everything you've done, um, but oh, would you mind, you. Would, would you mind speaking about just your, your most recent composition? Light the fire. Mm -hmm. I'm sure I'm not any help to anybody in composition. I do apologize. But what I'm telling you is the honest truth. God has used a broken stick to, to write and to share. But honestly, this is what happened. About 14 or 15 years ago, my brother-in-law, Father Kept Scallon, said, we need a new hymn to St. Patrick. Because St. Patrick is a saint for today, and his message is for the whole world. Now, you know, being Irish, he's our patron saint. Mm -hmm. We think we own him completely, you know. We have a great love for St. Patrick. Did I know a lot about him? I had to realize I really didn't. But that was about 14 or 15 years ago, and we were going through quite a challenging time in our own lives. So I had the Confessions of St. Patrick to read. Because obviously, if you're, if it's said to you that you should consider writing something about a particular situation or about a particular saint or person, then obviously you need to know the situation and you need to know as much as you can about the saint. So I think we read two pages of the Confessions of St. Patrick and we were too distracted with what was going on in our own lives. Nothing came. About seven years later, we were driving <laughs> in the car again. We were driving to Dublin for a, for a mass, for a mass on Easter Sunday. And we were praying the glorious mysteries. And the third mystery I promise you, we weren't talking about St. Patrick. We weren't thinking about St. Patrick. And it just popped in my head. Light the flame in my heart once again. Light the flame in my heart once again. 
and the fire will burn in the darkness and so it goes on and I said to Damien I gotta sing you this I sang it to him I said I think it's about St Patrick when he lit the fire on the hill of Slane, the fire that brought Christianity to Ireland and subsequently spread from Ireland uh, through all the different European countries and please God throughout the world. So he said, oh, I think that's important. And I always know when it's something that is um, gifted because it makes me cry, you know, and I... I said, oh, we had beautiful confirmations that day. From, we did not mention it to anybody, but we had a beautiful confirmation from the priest we were going to see. He said, oh, you know, last night I dreamt. I dreamt about St. Patrick, that he was lighting fires all over Ireland. And I didn't say a word because I do think also you need to be sure before you share something that, that it's right. And I knew there was something missing, but I didn't know what. I just knew there was something missing. Well, it was about eight years after that. Um, so this song, we had, I knew I had about 80% of it. And Damien would say, you've got to record that. You must record that. And I'd say, yes, I will, as soon as I get the missing bit. And I, um, we went to Medjugorje, actually, because... Last year, we just felt that perhaps our ministry, perhaps God just wanted our ministry, our active ministry to stop. And we wanted to pray about that. So we went to Medjugorje and we, we just asked Lord to guide us. And when we came back in December, I was invited to go and be interviewed at the St. Patrick's Centre in Downpatrick, where he's buried, along with St. Bridget and St. Colm Kill. And I, I, I learned so much about St. Patrick. You know, I shamrock snakes and green. That was my knowledge. And <laughs> I learned, <laughs> it's true, he was trafficked. He lived in poverty. He was enslaved. He was a saint for today. He lived with human sacrifice in dark, satanic, oppressive times. And I thought, oh my goodness, does he need to speak to our world? And suddenly in January, I got the missing bit. So light the fire and let it burn. And in the darkness, see the light return. Faith, hope and love forever will remain so light the flame in our hearts once again light the flame in our hearts once again it was the missing bit so we redeemed it on first of february just with a traditional guitar player and a traditional uh, fiddle player violinist just two we recorded it. It was completed in two weeks. Used the voices of a beautiful boys' scola choir from a from a church in Belfast, and we used the um, curate and the head of music from the Church of Ireland Church in Downpatrick. I, I launched it in St Patrick's Centre, 
about two weeks later, I sang it in Knock Basilica for St. Patrick's Day. And then I was invited to sing it in St. Patrick's Cathedral in New York. And it's really been adopted as an anthem for today. And, you know, I, I think if, if I could share anything, it's just wait on the Lord, you know, because if he wants you to, to share something that he's giving you, don't be impatient with him because he will give it when the time is right. That song took 15 years to complete. I'm not saying that's ideal, but when it was completed, it, boom, it has just spread like wildfire. Wildfire. <laughs> Light the fire. <laughs> wow. I think that's wonderful advice for those who are listening. Um, wait on the Lord. Um, and I think too, if, if I may be so bold as to kind of suggest this as well, um, Donna, I think the other thing that you do well, according to what everything you've told me is you are open and you're constantly listening with your heart of faith to whatever might come from within you from the Lord. And I think that's the other thing it's wait, I think, and also be open to whatever the Lord wants to say through you, because clearly he is through you. And so I would say that's probably also what I what I I've received as from what you said to us today. Oh well, I'm very grateful for that. I I do try to be open, and I find too that <clears throat> creativity. You know, when there are periods when they tumble out one after the other, like when I was doing the um the series, uh, the three different series for EWTN, songs were just tumbling out of me I, I mean I, I I would just somebody would say something or I'd feel something in prayer and they would just tumble out and I just knew when I would hear them that they were that that it was right and yeah I can't write at a piano I mean I, I get most things when I'm traveling or I'm nowhere near a musical instrument and because I'm classically straight as classically trained I have to be very careful that I don't manipulate what I'm hearing into what I think it should be, mm. you know. So I've got to formulate it in my mind. I used to write staff and then just write the notes in and it takes up too much paper. So now I just write, it's normally in the back of an envelope, I just write A, B, C, D, E. I just write, you know, the letter names of the notes mm. and I put the bars in. And if I know where it's quavers or crotchets, I'll stick that in too. And it's very, very skeleton-like. But I must have the chords in my head before I go to the piano. Uh, otherwise, I'll manipulate it to what I know. Mm -hmm. um, so that that's just me. I mean, this is probably horror for people listening. But, <laughs> you know, I think whatever God is going to give you, he, he hasn't formed. And, and I often will hear the complete arrangement. I won't write the arrangement. I'm not able to do that. But I know the arrangement. But I'm still open to, and my brother is very gifted. He doesn't read music at all. But he is a very natural, free, gifted. I have such admiration for people who write, who do not um, 
understand the writing of music. And that's so I explained to them, written music is a map. It's a map from A to B. And what you have inside you is the same thing. It just takes you longer to share. That's all. Mm-hmm. And so I, I, I admire him so much. And he's got wonderful creative ideas. And he adds things in and he hears things. So that's my thumbnail on, on how I write. Mm-hmm. Wow. Well, Donna, like I said a little bit ago, I would love if this conversation went for another hour because clearly the love that you have for your faith is so apparent in what you do. And I love, I love hearing the stories of your songs and not just how they they come to you through your love and your faith, but then the impact you have made with your music. And I think that's maybe the, the final thing I'd like to mention too. If you're listening to this, and you're thinking about something that's in your head. Maybe you're you're hearing a little scripture verse over and over, or a little melody over and over. Um, you know, it, but you're maybe afraid to put pen to paper. You're maybe afraid to see where it goes. I think it might be good to mention that if you do so, the power and the impact that you can have for so many people because you're willing to kind of sit down and see where it takes you. I think that's immense. I think that's incredible. And I think that's also worth noting because um, yes. it's so it's so much bigger than than you or I, Donna, you know, I, what, what, what we can do with the gifts Absolutely. that God gives us. Mm-hmm. He's so musical, you know, God is yes. so musical. <laughs> yes, he is. He absolutely is. Well, Donna, this has been a true pleasure and treat to sit and talk with you today. Thank you for your time, sharing your stories with us, and thank you for sharing the gifts that God has given you over the last, what, 50 years at this point in your in your musical career. So thank you for your time today, and thank you for all you do. It's been a very great pleasure, Amanda. Thank you so much, and God bless you and yours in the future ahead. Thank you. Light the flame in my heart once again. Light the flame in my heart once again. And the fire will burn in the darkness. Yes, the fire will burn in the darkness as on that ancient hill. The embers burning still. Thanks so much to Donna for her time today. For more information about Donna, as well as more information about this episode, check out the show notes at ministrymonday.org. The recording of Light the Fire was written and produced by Donna. And the theme music for this episode was produced by Aaron Shouse. This episode was produced by me, Amanda Bruce. That's it for today. With the Spirit's gifts, empowering us for the work of ministry. Thanks for listening. Have a great week, and we'll see you back here next time on Ministry Monday. Christ within me, Christ behind me, Christ before me, Christ beside me, Christ to win me.
light the flame.